great to be with you this morning. It's great to see everyone here in the room. And if you're watching on live stream, welcome to you as well. And so we said last week we were past Thanksgiving and we were ready for the Christmas season. Now we're officially into December. So I hope that's exciting for you. How many of you are looking forward to Christmas a little bit more this year than any other year? Okay, so a few hands go up. So here's the thing. I need some help because I'm the new guy in the room, right? I've only been here about a month and it's been an awesome month. It's great to get to know many of you and to interact with you. I'm still learning names, so forgive me if I've forgotten any so far. But I thought we need to kind of, I need to know where the people are on certain issues, okay? So I need to figure out where we are in some of these traditions because a lot of Christmas comes with traditions and expectation and all kinds of stuff. And so I need to know the people that are my, on my side. I need to know who I need to pray a little bit more for and figure out where we're at on these topics, okay? So the first one, and I want you to respond by raising your hand. I'll give you two choices for each one. And if you're watching online, you can interact as well. Just comment, let us know where you're at, and I'll come back and watch later um, to check out where you guys are. So this, this first question, I don't want you to think 2020. I want you to think every other year, okay? So every Christmas you knew 2019 and before. How many of you will start playing Christmas music before Thanksgiving? You're in before Thanksgiving. Okay, there's a handful. How many of you are, you would say there is no way that I'm starting to play Christmas music until after Thanksgiving? Okay, I've got just as many hands on that. See, and the reason I said it's 20, like usually I wouldn't start until Thanksgiving, but if you wanted to start Christmas music in like August this year, that would have been fine. Okay, because we just need to get there. But this one's a little bit more important to me. Okay, this one I think is, is uh, this one's very important. So how many of you have a fake Christmas tree? Okay, handful, okay. How many of you have a real Christmas tree? Okay, these are those of us who are trying to save Christmas. You all are trying to kill it who don't have your hand raised right now, okay? Real trees, uh, that's something that's important to me. I'm, I'm just kidding, I know there's allergies and like we had a cat before and as soon as we put up the Christmas tree, it ran up the tree. Have you ever seen a cat do that? It was like, what is happening? Okay, we had never had cats. We don't have a cat anymore um, because we need to have our Christmas tree. Um, but at the same time, that's just something that I always expected. I always wanted to have a real tree. We have a real tree now, um, and so that's always fun. But I know the fake tree is getting gaining a little more ground. Um, okay, this one's not as important, but I think it's interesting. How many of you will put out presents before Christmas Eve? So like Amazon came yesterday, and you wrapped it and put it under the tree. How many of you put them out before Christmas Eve? Okay. How many of you don't put Christmas presents out until Christmas Eve? That's when all the presents show up. Okay. So that's typically what I did. My parents didn't want to torture us, I guess, with like the Christmas presents under the tree too early. Have you ever, there's actually videos of parents who, when they need to discipline their children, they have wrapped presents under the Christmas tree that are empty. They're just empty boxes. And when the kids are bad, they take them and like throw them in the fireplace and the kids think, that they're burning their presents. I would never do that, but it happens, right? Okay, I've got two more, two more. Um, eggnog. <laughs> that was awesome. How many of you really like eggnog? Okay, just by itself, nothing else in it, just eggnog. How many of you, like, there's no way you're drinking eggnog ever? Yeah, I tried it a couple times. I don't really get that one. All right, last one. How many of you are done Christmas shopping already? Good job, Chuck. Okay, there's a handful. How many of you haven't started yet? All right, there we go. A few people haven't started yet. Okay, so just a little bit of fun to start off the morning, right, and to kind of see where we're at on Christmas, get to know each other a little bit more. But 
what we're talking about today and what we're going to start this conversation as we start our Christmas series is the idea of expectation. And in some of these traditions, we have expectations that are coming with this year. And, and like some of us are probably a little more expectant for what's going to happen this year. You might have expectations for where you were going to go and who you were going to visit. Maybe that's going to happen. Maybe it's not. Maybe you had an expectation of seeing certain people, eating a certain meal. And so all of those things kind of go into our Christmas tradition and what we expect will happen. And when we're thinking about our Christmas series this year, our, our series is called What Child Is This? As you can see the graphic behind me. And we're thinking about the expectation that was placed on Jesus coming. Thinking ahead and looking at the prophecies that were given about Jesus before he was even here. And to do that, we're going to walk through a little bit of the book of Isaiah. I'm going to be in chapter 9 today, and then Pastor Andrew will be here next week, and we'll continue with some different chapters. But this is the idea. We're going to look ahead and kind of say, what were the expectations of Jesus coming? And then when we learn what those expectations were, how did they influence us today, thousands of years later? And so in order to kind of understand this, we, we're asking, what child is this? But we also have to ask, who was Isaiah? What did he have to do with the process? That, yeah, what did he have to do with the process and why did he have a message that we would share? We'll get to verse one in a minute, but I want to set the stage a little bit for what's going on with Isaiah and in his time frame. He, he lived 700 years before Jesus was around. So you've got a few centuries here where he's giving us information that we have recorded where he was given a message about Jesus. And the message wasn't actually just about Jesus. And in Isaiah's time, what was going on was the nation of Israel was actually split in two. There were two kingdoms. There was the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And so he was in the kingdom of Judah, and he was working with a king named Ahaz. And Ahaz had a very big problem he was dealing with. Because what had happened was the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Syria had teamed up. And they, he had heard that they were getting ready to invade. Now, how would you feel if you're King Ahaz and you realize there are two nations getting ready to come and take you over, take you out, probably kill you, and replace you with somebody they want instead of you? Not a very good situation. So the good thing is for Ahaz that Isaiah gets a message from God. Isaiah goes to him and says, hey, I have a message, and he's, God is not going to allow this to happen. But Ahaz kind of has an odd reaction, and he, he says, no, I don't want a sign from God, because then if God comes through, I have to obey what he says. Ahaz wasn't a great king. So in this conversation, uh, Isaiah kind of goes, tough, here's your sign. And so in chapter 7, he says that there will be a child who is born. And actually what happens is if we read chapter 8, there is another child who's born in the immediate that impacts Ahaz's situation. Because really, if you think about it, in, in chapter 7, if Isaiah gives Ahaz a message about Jesus, who's coming 700 years later, that really doesn't, Ahaz could look at him and go, how does that help me? <laughs> I don't have any help right now. But what happens sometimes with biblical prophecy is there's an immediate fulfillment, and then later there's even more fulfillment. As I was studying this week, I heard a pastor say it this way. He said, imagine that you're hiking to a mountain range. And as you're seeing the mountains, you're seeing multiple ranges, but you don't realize it. You, they all just seem like one range. And so when you get to the first mountain and you get to the top, 
you realize some of the mountains you saw far off were further than you thought when you really were thinking they were kind of closer to the mountain you're on. That's what happens with prophecy sometimes. There's that immediate mountaintop or that immediate place you get to, and then there's still more to come that's included in this prophecy, and that's what's happening in the book of Isaiah. And so in chapter 9, we get to this conversation that's the further off prophecy that Isaiah is giving us about Jesus. So we're going to go to chapter 9, now that we kind of know where we're at in the story. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. And starting in verse 1, it says, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will be burned. They will fuel the fire. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end, and he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. So those last two verses are the ones we hear a lot, right? There's even decorations outside here where this verse is mentioned, and these verses come up. And we hear those verses often, but when we understand them in context, we know that there was some trouble going on when Ahaz heard these words. And there was some turbulence happening in the kingdom of Israel as this is given. But the, the idea is that we're looking forward in eager expectation for Jesus to come. And then we get these names. This is kind of like when you get a birth announcement, right? If you've ever had children or you knew somebody that was having a child, maybe one of the things you did was you took newborn pictures and you made a postcard or something like that, and you sent it out to friends and family. You had the name and the birthday and all kinds of fun stuff. I think we did that with Owen, but we, I don't know that we did it with the other two because the firstborn gets all the love, right? So we, you just get in that process. And now one of the things today is you have social media. So a lot of times people just wait to see it there. One of the interesting things when we uh, had our kids, we always had the names picked out, but we never told anybody. So as soon as the baby was born, I'm getting text messages from like my dad and her parents and like, oh, what's the name? We need to know and all this stuff. And then with Carter, we really threw him for a loop because we had a boy and a girl, so we didn't find out what he was. So then everybody's waiting to see like what gender is it? What's his name? And everybody's eagerly anticipating this, right? And after the baby's born, you get all of this information. But this one's a little bit different because we get so much information about Jesus 700 years before he comes. Nobody's sending birth announcements this year 700 years in advance. But we have information on where he'd be from. We have information on what line he would come from. And we know the names that he would be called. And so the promise is made. And 700 years before Jesus would come, we get a promise about who he will be and the types of names he will carry. 
And so what I want to do today is go through these four names. And we have to understand something about these names because they changed the way the Israelites would understand God. When you look at God in the Old Testament, he's a pretty scary character. In fact, there are many people that have an issue becoming a Christian because they look back at the Old Testament and they see how wrathful God can be. And there were some very real times in the Old Testament where if you were found in opposition of God's rules, you were taking your life in your own hands. Some of these names that we're going to walk through really exist to change the understanding of who Jesus would be. It's not changing God, but it's changing the relationship that we would have with God through the coming of Christ. So let's go to the first one. The first one, I'm not going to go in order. So just so, just know that. It's going to bug some of you, but sorry, I'm not going to go in order. The first one I'm going to talk about is Everlasting Father. Now this can be a little bit tricky because when we think about the Trinity, right? If you've been in church for a while, you know that there's God the Father, God the Son, and Holy Spirit. And so they're all one. They are all equally God, but they play different roles. This is not Jesus taking God the Father's role. That's not what's happening. It's just the idea of who Jesus would be in relationship to us at times. I want to go back to verse 2 for a minute. It says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Now, Dad's in the room. When your kid is afraid of the dark, do you get called to the bedroom? Yes. Or if they love mommy more, they might call for mommy. But you get called, right? Why? Because there's a darkness that's happening. They don't like it. They need to figure out, are there monsters under the bed, in the closet? Where is this? What's going on? And so we know that there was this turmoil happening in Israel at the time. The same thing is true if we don't know Jesus. We may feel like we're in the dark. And, and those of us who maybe walked with Jesus for a while, there have definitely been times in life where if we didn't know Jesus, it would be a very dark time. It would be very difficult to walk through some things if we didn't know Jesus and have that relationship with him. But when we're told that this everlasting father is going to come, I think it offers us the presence of, of loving protection. We know that Jesus came as the light of, of the world. And so when he shows up and he offers light into these dark situations, he's offering us a bit of protection from that darkness. He's offering us a place to go when things get difficult. He's offering us a clarity in those situations where we can trust him and not feel like we're walking through that darkness by ourselves. And when we know that there's someone who's there and understands what's going on and is the light and can provide the light and can protect us, it can be like that fatherly figure. But for some of us, that can also be a little bit difficult because maybe dad wasn't there the way that we wished. Whether it was by his choice or not, we just didn't have that interaction with him. And so the good thing in that situation is we do have a heavenly father and we do have Jesus to give us those examples. And we can lean into him even when our own dads fail, because all dads do. But he's there for us. The second name I want to talk about is Wonderful Counselor. Now, this one can get a little tricky, too, because in our culture, we don't really like to admit that we go to counseling, necessarily. It's kind of like you admit you go to a counselor, you've got a problem. 
we all kind of have problems, so we should probably all be in counseling at some point. But this idea is that we could go to Jesus. We could actually access him. And for those in the Old Testament, for those at Isaiah's time, this was not a reality for them. In fact, only certain people could enter into the presence of God at certain times. And if they didn't do it the right way, if they didn't follow the right procedures, if they didn't go about it, if they had some hidden sin in their life and they stepped into that presence, they would immediately drop dead. And so to enter the presence of God in that time was far beyond most people, and they were terrified to do it. And we even think about stories where Moses was going to interact with God, and God hides him because he doesn't want him to be hurt by God's glory. But this is a difference. And we can now come to Jesus whenever we need to. And it's different than, like, if you have a really frustrating day, you might call your friend or a, a sibling, like, hey, I just need to hang out. I need to vent. I need to talk this through. Let's order a bunch of pizza and eat it all and talk about it, and that'll make me feel better. But that person that we're talking to doesn't actually have an impact on the situation. They're there. They'll hear you, which is great. But when we know we can step into the presence of Jesus at any moment when we have a relationship with him and have that conversation and know that he's in control, it offers us the presence of wisdom. It offers us the ability to ask his help, to have him come and be a part of our problems. And we can access him at any time. We don't have to worry about who we are or what's going on. He's there and will hear us no matter what. So, so far we've got that loving protection. We've got the presence of wisdom that we can step to. And then the third one is Prince of Peace. And this one's so important because we do recognize that Jesus is a king. He's a prince. He's royalty. He reigns. He has dominion. And when we think about who we have access to, and now we're talking about we can step into the presence of a prince of royalty at any time, it reminds us, of, first of all, of that control that he has, but it also gives us a place of honor because he's recognized us as the person that he wants to have a relationship with. And when we see this idea of peace, I don't know about you, but my mind immediately goes to the absence of conflict. But this idea is actually a little bit deeper than that. And when we look at this word in the original language, the word that comes to mind is shalom. We usually think about that as like a Jewish word, right? Shalom. And it means peace. But here's what it actually, it actually means in the fullness is the presence of wholeness. And I'm going to read a verse. We're going to go to verse 4. Back to verse 4. It says, For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. Let's focus on that first part, right? Break the yoke of slavery. People that are in slavery are never at peace. There's always something to get away from. There's always something to get to. There's always something hanging over them. When we think about this in the context of Jesus, we know from the New Testament that he would break the burden of slavery that is sin. And he would remove the presence of sin from our lives if we step into a relationship with him. And that burden isn't there any longer. And so when we understand that, we have the presence of wholeness. 
And when we wrap this into the first couple of names that we talked about, where he has that loving protection, he has that wisdom, and we can go to him. And now we've got this wholeness because he's actually given us and is everything that we need. It means that we can rest in this. I don't know what that looks like for you. If we were going to go around the room and have a conversation and what and say, what would it look like for you to have the ideal place of rest where you just, there are no burdens, there's nothing on your to-do list, there's no one to bug you, and you just get to be and to feel the most at peace. We'd probably all have a different answer. Maybe for some of us, though, it would look something like you're just sitting on a beach somewhere and you've got the perfect umbrella. I just heard like someone just go, ah, oh, like that would be great, right? The perfect weather, not a cloud in the sky, the breeze is fine, there's nobody, and you just get to relax there for the whole day, right? Maybe for some of us, we're, Christmas could be that time. You get to the point on Christmas Eve and you've got all the lights up, you've got all the presents wrapped under the tree, it's done, all the kids are in bed, and you just kind of rest in that moment for a second. And there's a feeling of wholeness. There's no problems. There's no frustrations. There's no annoyances. All of that's gone for a minute. And what Jesus offers us is that place where we can be whole. The burdens fall away because we know that he's in control. The frustrations change because we know that he's working through them. And we know that he has us where he wants us. And in that, we find rest. And he offers us this peace, this wholeness that goes along with it. The last name to look at this morning is that he is a mighty God. And what's tempting sometimes when we look at the first three names too, and we look at, I've been talking about what he does for us and what he does for us and what he does for us, right? And so the temptation there is that we start to think too much about us. We go, oh man, Jesus likes me so much. Like, this is awesome. And that, that's totally true. Jesus loves us more than anyone we've ever known ever. But that also means that we have to turn around and worship him. That also means that our focus then has to go off of ourselves and to turn it back to him. And so as a mighty God, he is worthy of worship. It sounds strange sometimes when you put into context what happened at Christmas, right? Tiny little baby, but he's all of these things that Isaiah said he would be. And he's still 100% God and 100% worthy of our worship. And when we recognize all that he has promised to be to us, our response, a healthy response to that has to be to turn around then and to continue to worship him through our lives, resting in what he has offered us, resting in the person that he has said he would be and promised to be, but then to take action ourselves and to focus our lives around who he is. I think the tension in some of this comes uh, when our situation doesn't match our expectations. Have you ever been stuck there? When your situation doesn't match your expectations? When you have all these ex expectations built up, you're ready to go a certain direction, you're ready to do this, this project started, or this direction you thought you were supposed to go, and then all of a sudden, everything changes. And then what do you do? How do you react when that happens? I think if we actually go to the Gospels and we go to the life of Mary, 
we can learn a little bit about what we should do with the promises that we've been given from God and then how we live our lives through them, even when things don't turn out the way that we thought. I'm going to go to Luke chapter 1. We're actually going to go from one prophecy to another. So this is another prophecy that we get in Luke. This is just much closer to when Jesus was born. In verse 26 of Luke 1, it says, In the sixth, pregnant, sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, uh, Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be, to be married. Sorry, I clicked my screen. I didn't want to. I'll just read up there. She was engaged to be married to Joseph, a descendant of David. Now let's time out right there. What do we learn from this verse? Well, we learn who Mary is. We learn where she lives, Galilee. Isaiah told us it would be Galilee. What do we learn about who she's engaged to? Well, we learn that it was Joseph, a descendant of David. What did Isaiah tell us? It would be a descendant of David. So let's keep going. In verse 28, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Do not be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. So we get a new name for the Messiah, Jesus. And wrapped up in Jesus are all the names that Isaiah gave us as well. But let me go back really quickly to verses 28 and 29. Because this is, I think, where those expectations and situation, they kind of jive with one another. And, and, and Mary has to figure out what to do. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. What does God do first? He makes a promise through Gabriel. You found favor with God. I'm with you. That's what he tells her first. That's the promise that he makes. But then how does Mary feel? Confused and disturbed. You ever feel that way? Even when you're dealing with what you thought God wanted you to do and the situation changes from what your expectations were and all of a sudden you're confused. Why, God, would you put us this direction? Why would you allow this to happen now? Confused, frustrated, not knowing what to do. Think about Mary's situation. She's a young girl, probably a teenager, getting ready to get married, so planning the wedding, getting ready to start life as a carpenter's wife and to have kids and to live that reality out in Galilee. Probably nothing too exciting, but she was probably looking forward to it. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up, changes everything. You think when she woke up the next day, she kind of questioned whether it really happened or not? Like, what did I eat last night that made me have that kind of dream, right? But she knew it was true. And what we know about Mary through this whole process was she could have been killed for this. If Joseph decided he didn't want to have anything to do with her, she could have been stoned. And yet, she continued to follow God. Why? Because he made a promise to her and she wanted to do what God had called her to do. This is the challenge, I think, for us as we look at these names of Jesus. There's going to be times, whether it's this year or next year, whenever it might be, where our expectations do not match the situation. 
And what's tempting for us might be to look at God and to say, I don't get it. What's going on? I don't like this. Let's do it a different way. But instead, what we should be focusing on is who God promised he would be. When we know the situation has changed and we don't know what to do with it, we look back at the names that Isaiah tells us Jesus will be, and we say, well, when I don't know what to do, I can go to the counselor who does. I can go to the person who's in control and have that conversation and figure it out with him because he's available as my savior to do that with me. When I'm in turmoil and I'm feeling like things are falling apart around me, I know that Jesus is still present and there with me, and so I can rest in that shalom, that wholeness that he offers me because I know that there's nothing else I could need besides him. When our situations don't match our expectations, but we're willing to trust in who God is rather than what we think we should do or what he should do, it gives us that peace, that rest, that understanding that I don't have to be in control because he is. And if God can predict the birth of Jesus 700 years ahead of time and have it come true, and also what we'll see more about Jesus' life predicted in Isaiah as we go through this series, then we can trust him. And when we step into a relationship with him, we can have the peace that he offers. And so the last thing I, I want us to remember today is that peace comes when we live in light of who God said he would be, not in what we want him to do. When we live in light of who God says he is, we can trust him. He hasn't failed at what he set out to do yet. So we don't need to think that he's going to in the future. So each week, I like to give you something to do, something that would put into practice what we're talking about. And so what I think I want to do this week, and I've done this before as I was preaching as a part of a Christmas topic, I, I want to challenge you to put the name of Jesus somewhere in your decorations. So think through your decorations. I'm sure some of you already have it. But think through all the decorations you have in your home and think about whether the name of Jesus is actually on any of those decorations. And if he's not, I challenge you to change that. I challenge you to place Jesus in your decorations somehow, whether it's an ornament or something on your wall or whatever it might be. Be. And we can do that for all the cheesy reasons. Jesus is the reason for the season, right? We could say that if we want to, but here's why. Because we need to focus on who God said he would be and trust him to be that person in our lives. He told us who he would be 700 years before he got here. And then he showed us through the way that he lived. And he deserves that, especially at this time of year, that we would make his name central and that we would worship him above all other things. And when we're willing to do that, again, when Christmas doesn't go the way that we thought, and we're tempted to get frustrated, we look up and we see the name of Jesus and we go, you know what? It's okay. He's given me that peace. He's what I need. And I don't have to be at odds with anybody else or with myself over what didn't go the way that I had planned. I hope you have peace this holiday season. It's going to be hard sometimes, I think. But I think that if we lean into Jesus and who he tells us he will be, who he promises to be, we can have that peace no matter what the next few weeks looks like. Let me pray for us today. Lord.
it's so incredible that we can look back at a passage that is thousands of years old and be able to see the way that it was fulfilled 700 years later. It's incredible that you would give that word to Isaiah and that it would still ring true for us today. And I ask that we in our own lives and as a group of believers would remember the promises that you've made to us and that we would rest in that. That at a time that feels like there's maybe not a ton of peace around us, just not knowing sometimes what tomorrow will bring, that we would rest in you because we know that you're in control. That we would rely on you as the counselor that you are. We would know that you will protect us through the things that you've asked us to walk through. We ask, I ask specifically if there's anyone in the room that's just dealing with turmoil, frustration, whatever it is, they just feel not at peace at all, that they would hand that to you and rest in who you are. We thank you, Lord, again, that you are there for us every time we need you and that you care about every one of our frustrations.